This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements and the stories that have been forgotten. 32 years ago, there were still two Germanys. That's crazy, isn't it? It really is. That is crazy when you think about it. What the world was like. That was in our lifetime. We were alive when that happened. Yeah. And that is a huge event, arguably one of the biggest events in the 1980s. It it basically brought an an end to the Cold War. The Berlin Wall came down. It came down on November the 9th, 1989. The East Berlin Communist Party announced that East Berliners could move freely Mm -hmm. through the wall for the first time. So what they did was the people brought down uh, refreshments and hammers and started to break down the wall themselves, which has obviously been... It was this oppressive barrier which had symbolized so much of what was going on in in kind of Eastern Europe at the time. And it was so, I mean, it was so difficult to escape and to get out of East Berlin. Uh, It wasn't actually, though, until the following year that the the two Germanys united. It wasn't actually almost a year later, October the 3rd, 1990, that East Germany united with West Germany. That's why West Germany still played in the 1990 World Cup. Because I would have thought, huh. you know, I did initially wonder. Like, the war came down in 1989. It was still West Germany in the 1990s. I love how World you linked Cup. it to that football I know, reference. Of course, That's everything the gets first linked back place to football. That your mind went. Uh, but it is crazy. It's mind-boggling yeah. when you think about it. That that happened the same year that the World Wide Web was invented. Let's move on. The Simpsons debuted in 1980. It was created in 1987, and it, it, it actually launched uh, as a skit on the Tracy Ullman show, which mm. was a popular um, like primetime show. It wasn't until late in 89 that it got its first standalone episode on primetime. There have been 639 episodes of the show. I calculated that it would take you just under 10 days to watch the whole thing uninterrupted. Oh, come on. There's no way. There's a challenge there. You could there. make it. You, you pulled out your calculator and you've done the math, and we uh, could go back to back yes. every single They've got an average runtime of 22 minutes. I challenge anyone to do the math. T- 22 minutes, okay? 639 episodes. It works out as like 9.7 days continuously. That is unbelievable. Imagine I would that. Have, I would have thought, I thought you were going to say something like nine months. There should be a Simpsons challenge out there. <laughs> How long can you go? How many yeah. episodes in a row can you watch? Yeah, exactly. Because it would be very difficult to obviously sit through. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to stay awake for nine days straight to watch all of them. <laughs> Unless you're there insomnia. Would, there would have to be some sort of um, <laughs> criteria to that where you could sleep, you'd have like five hours of sleep per, per day. Let's, uh, let's listen to show creator Matt Groening. He reveals in this early interview that a lot of the inspiration for the material was very close to home. The Simpsons are named after my family, but I do have a brother and sister who I have not humiliated by naming a Simpson after them. And uh, I can't tell who's more annoyed with me, the ones who were named or the ones who weren't. My father's named Homer, and uh, when you name a buffoonish cartoon character after your own father, you have to make up for it by naming your firstborn son after him as well. So I have a son named Homer too. Matt Groening has a dad and a son named Homer. No! That is yeah. one of the best facts I've ever heard on this show. Yeah. He's named the Simpsons after people, his own family. Yes, he based it on his own family. I would be annoyed if I was one of the siblings who was left out. Massively. Right? Yeah. because It's yeah. like you'd rather be included even if the cartoon even if you're the is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Than exactly. not included altogether, because that just means you're not significant enough to get. It sort mentioned. of immortalizes you as well yeah. in cartoon form. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that that show launched for the very first time in 1989, along with a lot of other massive TV shows, which we are going to get to. The World Wide Web 
was invented in 1989, Sone. Good old Tim Berners-Lee. Yeah, and I, I have to admit, I have been labouring under the assumption that that kind of meant the internet, but no, it didn't. Yeah. Slightly different, right? Slightly different. The internet has been around for longer than the World Wide Web. The weird thing about it is the internet has been around 20 years longer than the World Wide Web. So what the hell was it doing for 20 years? If it well, wasn't- it started off as ARPANET, I think, which was a U.S. military-based mm. thing. And then they used it in universities to send some information across. So I guess the WW, uh, WWW. Yeah. I was going to say WWF or something. <laughs> that <laughs> was world- also big in the 80s. Yeah, of course. The World Wide Web was kind of what made it accessible probably to the layperson, I would imagine. Yeah. So, Tim Berners-Lee, you're absolutely right. He was trying to find a new way for scientists to easily share the data from their experiments. And hypertext in the internet obviously already existed. Uh, but no one had thought of a way to use the internet to link one document directly to another. Mm. So he created these addresses, HTML, URL, and HTTP. All of these remain in use today. And here he is explaining the difference between the World Wide Web and the internet. So the web is the space of pages and documents and now programs that you get and that have URLs and the internet is the underlying system which allows the web server and the web browser to work. So I will never make that mistake again. Yeah, yeah. it's also still, even with that information, I think, well, how does the underlying internet work without a system or user interface with which to use it? Aliens. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Good question. Certainly not one that we can touch on (laughs) in the time capsule. 1989 also saw the launch of Game Boy. And I've got to play you. Right, Nintendo, they made history. Game Boy sold 150 million units. You've got to listen to the very first ad. They said it wasn't humanly possible. But now you can have all the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. Introducing Game Boy. It's portable, it's in stereo, and its games are interchangeable. Plus, Game Boy comes with the outrageous new game, Tetris. And for head-to-head competition, use the revolutionary video link and blow your opponent away. Game Boy, only from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, portable power. Sorry, but when was Tetris outrageous? Listen, it's not a game with where you put bricks into the into the space. It's not outrageous. Tetris is the least outrageous game there is, but it is addictive. <laughs> that ad makes me want to buy a Game Boy today. Yeah, tell so you what. clearly it was effective. Yeah, you just get that high octane guitar. Yeah, that music, those sound effects, like. Pshh! in the background that's it yeah and you can imagine the visuals were just as good with this ridiculous cartridge and this big grey slab yeah I'm imagining like light blasts going across the screen dramatically one of my biggest bugbears my parents never bought me a Game Boy (gasps) refused to let me have one really did you throw a little tantrum all my friends had one did you throw a tantrum probably petulant tantrum and then I sulked for a bit and then I got over it in hindsight you're better for not having had a Uh, Game Boy who's to say to bury your childhood who's to know no maybe maybe they did me a good turn did you have one Uh, yeah actually I did or my brothers had one I can't really remember we had one or two to share I think okay so I do but I do remember that we'd be like on holiday and you'd be like playing the Game Boy in hindsight like yeah that is such a waste of a childhood it is isn't it yeah Yeah. It is, but they were so cool. Whenever I used to go around to a friend's house, I'd be straight on their Game Boy. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Forget hanging out with lovely, you. Lovely to see you. Yeah. Where's your Game Boy? Yeah, exactly. Don't you love how kids yeah. can, can do you, that? Can you let me know when it? lunchtime is? 
Yeah, absolutely. You'd go around for the day, you'd, you'd arrange it, you'd get dropped off, you'd say a quick perfunctory hello yeah. straight up to play whatever computer they had. Exactly. Whether it was Sega, Mega Drive, Nintendo, Game there, Boy. There was no pretense of having to spend time no. getting to know them and listen to them about their day. You absolutely could just not. play with their toys. Yeah, you could just That's bl- what it was blaze all about. straight through all that nonsense. Um, the first GPS satellites went into orbit in 1989. That wow. laid the groundwork for Google Maps. It was a big year. It was a big year. And in fact, all the GPS devices... Uh, they launched the first of 24 satellites of the system into orbit in 1989. The biggest solar storm in history happened. Okay, get this. Apparently, you could see the northern lights all the way down in Florida. What? Hmm. I can't even comprehend that. beats that. the great British storm of 1987. <laughs> uh, Microsoft Office was released. Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and all that sort of stuff. Okay. That's still going strong today. And the first ever text message was sent. <gasps> This is huge. Do we it's know what huge, it says? We don't know. Probably hello or something. Yeah. Um, it was sent on a Motorola bleeper. <laughs> so there you Remember have it. Remember when everybody had a Motorola, the flip phones, right? Or mm. the Razor. Is that what they were called? That's it. And they made a comeback recently, I feel like. Yeah. So that's a, it's pretty significant. Yeah, that's a really significant year for technology. That's a strong for year space. for kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Definitely. Very strong year. Let's get to movies. Okay. Okay. TV was is, big as we well. We know this is what it's really about. It always just comes down uh, to the movies. No, listen. Look, look, the movies are a bit nonsensical this year. It, this is the top grossing film of the year. $411 million at the box office. And listen, I know this is a personal opinion. I know you always deride me for this. But it, for me, it is still the best Batman. Take a listen. Jack, listen. Maybe we can cut a deal. Jack. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. And as you can see, I'm a lot happier. (laughs) Now listen, let me make my case for Jack Nicholson as Joker, Michael Keaton as Batman, and Kim Basinger, because... It was there was something so brilliantly cartoonish about the Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. It, if you took it from the comic books, which is obviously the source material, Gotham City, the way they created it, and the the costumes and everything about the characters, I feel like the Batman's of later, you know, the Christopher Nolan Batman's, they got so serious, they took themselves so seriously. Everything was so serious, like a little too real world. Wasn't that the quote? It was actually <laughs> Heath Ledger's quote. <laughs> Why so, so serious? Well, I, th- I felt that's the way I felt about the movies. <laughs> It was so playful, that 1989 Batman. It was so comic booky yeah. in its construction. And the whole kind of set with the sort of looming towers, it was never light. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not going to take away from the 80s Batman movies. Listen, I'll take away from the show that I think was the 60s, was oh, it, yeah, or in the yeah, 70s? That. That, was, that was ludicrous. I think, you know, different approaches, but I did like the Christopher Nolan ones. Mm. You got really sucked into them because of the realism of them. Potentially, yeah. But I, listen, I'm, we'll get, sti- we'll, I'm sticking up, as is Alistair, for yeah, the 89 Batman. We'll give a nod to both. In, in the late 80s, Rick Moranis was basically in every movie. So, I mean, okay. literally, we've done Spaceballs. He was at it again this year with this absolute classic. Diane, i got something real important to tell you. Are you trying to tell me the machine works? Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids and the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. <laughs> Threw them out with the trash. <laughs> what? <laughs> is this a, where do they end up going in this movie do they go in the body or something 
No, the, you, honey, I shrunk the kids. Yeah, don't right? they go into a human body? No, they do not go into a human oh. body. Oh. They get shrunk and they get put in a trash can and put at the end of the garden. They've got to find their way back through the garden to the house. Okay. And the machine shrunk them. Right. And then they've got to, like, face off against ants who are now 15 times their size. Yeah, that was brilliant. It's an amazing... It's so good. That, I do remember Back in the day that. when cinema, they just had fun with their films. Yeah. I feel like a lot of fun has been... Dre- Maybe really it's original, I'm, original concepts, weren't they? They were original concepts and they were so ludicrous, but mm. you just you just went to it. It was pure escapism. It may not, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, take the award for the most ludicrous piece of cinema in the year. And that must surely go to this early Keanu Reeves outing. Dudes, you guys are going to go back in time. Yeah! You are going to have the most excellent adventure through history. Who are you guys? We're you, dude! No way. No way. It's hard to believe Keanu Reeves was in Bill and Ted's excellent <laughs> adventure, but he was. Have you seen that movie? I think I've seen bits of it. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it would have been ones that, that would have been on the TV if I was around a friend's house. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure would have been on. Yeah, right. Yeah, have you? I, I don't think I haven't seen it. In fact, they came out with a sequel or another movie a couple of years ago. I wouldn't rush ago. to correct that. Yeah. <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> like, did, don't though. put it on your must-watch list. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know it's going to go to the top of my list of movies from the 80s that I have to watch. So other movies, there were some great sequels, Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon 2, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with Sean Connery playing Indy's father in that one, uh, Police Academy 6. I <laughs> <laughs> love the Police Academy series. <laughs> and uh, an off-script favourite, Kevin Costner. He was on form in the baseball-inspired classic Field of Dreams. So that sort of rounds up the movies your for Your best movie for 89? I still think Batman, Batman yeah. for sure. Batman was, was a well a worthy kind of champion of that year, I think. But TV was big, so TV okay. was, was very big. I feel quite certain that we've played this theme song more than any other radio yeah, station I would, I would has say ever so. played this theme I would song. Say, I can't get enough of it. Um... <laughs> I have dug up some interesting Baywatch facts, though. Okay? Just to add to the conversation, because we spoke about Baywatch a lot. Slow-mo shots in Baywatch, i.e. the shots of them, like, jogging down the beach. Running slowly down the beach, yeah, in their swimwear. David Hasselhoff later claimed that these were used to pad out shows that were running short without having to spend more money on footage. (laughs) That is brilliant. So it's not what people really thought the slow-mo yeah. shot was about. It's coming in at 38 minutes. It needs to be 40. Just slow down <laughs> Just a few slow of the scenes. The runs. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was almost cast as Hobie. <gasps> no. Apparently. Um, that imagine would have been insane. Leo's career would have taken a, a weird turn. Yeah, definitely. If, he, if he'd been Hobie in Baywatch. I mean, I told you that I reached out to Hobie because yeah. um, Chris really wanted to interview him. And then it turned out that his life had taken a certain trajectory that we could not condone. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> his name isn't actually Hobie, is no, it? No, it was Jer- Jeremy Jackson, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. You want to say? Yeah, I think that was take it. A stab. Apparently, as well, in Baywatch, no one was allowed to gain weight. And well, by the way... You know, I could imagine that being a thing, though. Because yeah. can you imagine if you did? I mean, the whole show, yeah. the premise of it, is dependent the slow-mo on being shots would be ruined, attractive they? in a swimsuit. That's it. Um, this applied to both men and women, incidentally. Yeah. Um, but that was written into the clauses of their contracts. Yeah, sure. The actors. Um, this show is a show I watched an awful lot of, and it also launched in 1989. 
I've got a little fact for this one as well. Okay. So sure. Mark Paul Gosler, who played Zach Morris. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, in Saved by the Bell. Um, he had to dye his hair every two weeks between 1989 and 1997. <laughs> he was not a natural blonde, you're telling me. He was me. not. He, Why he, are you shattering that dream he, of mine? He, re- he revealed recently that it took some time for his hair to return to its normal state yeah. after he stopped dyeing it. You need, a, you need a main character that played Zach Morris to be blonde. You it do. Just, he needed to be Massively. blonde. I can yeah, totally see that. Um, Seinfeld also premiered this year. Okay. It was created, obviously, by Jerry, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David. And here's a, an interesting fact from Seinfeld. The real George Costanza sued Seinfeld's creators for $100 million. So George Costanza, one of the characters, um, he, was, he was named after a real person. He was named after Jerry's former friend, Michael Costanza who later sued Seinfeld, Larry, and NBC for $100 million, claiming that the series had violated his privacy, okay? Now, the court sided with the show's creators, yeah. who've always maintained that George is based on co-creator Larry David. But this guy brought out a book, and he called it The Real Seinfeld, as told by the real Costanza. Okay, talk about trying to cash in on someone else's work, okay? Also, is he trying to compare his, himself to George? Does he really want to do that? Well, does he want to claim the George Constanza he does. character? Do you know what he says? He goes, he noted, George is bald. I am bald. George is stocky. I am stocky. George and I both went to Queen's College with Jerry. George's high school teacher nicknamed him Can't Stand You. So did mine. George had a thing about bathrooms and parking spaces. So do I. And you know what? There might be something to this. Then. Although Costanza can't stand you. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh I don't know. I'm, I'm finding this compelling, all of these comparisons. Give him 100 million straight away. He's earned it, clearly. <laughs> right. OK, let's move on to music. Madonna, she dropped her Like a Prayer album, so she put, uh, that, that put her straight up there, top billing alongside Michael Jackson as the biggest stop, uh, pop star on the planet. Songs like Express Yourself, Cherish, Oh Father, Dear Jesse, Keep It Together, and this one. Thoughts? I mean, this is the best Madonna song, isn't there? One of them. Can, you, can so. you name a better Madonna song than this one? No, probably not. This is her peak. This is peak yeah, Madonna. I don't like much of her, many of her songs, <laughs> in all honesty. But uh, yeah, but in the certainly... 80s, you didn't. You weren't a fan of Madonna in the 80s? No. She was so outlandish and risque. Mm. Yeah. No, not for you. Not for me, really. You just not a, for me. You're just a pure Kylie guy. I was a massive Michael Jackson fan. Mm. And yeah, Kylie. Do the locomotion. Uh, right. This was, according to the Billboard Hot 100, the number one selling song of 1989. And I didn't even recognize it. So if it's gotta be this way, don't worry, baby, I can take the news, okay? But if you see me walking by, I'm I feel quite certain that I've never heard that song before. I, it's Chicago's Look Away, and I can get on board with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, as eighties ballads go. I don't know. It's a bit, you know. I think there's a reason I've never heard of it. Yeah. It's a bit tepid. It was the number one selling song of 1989. So, you don't find that a bit bland for a power ballad? I mean, I don't even know if that is a power ballad. That's like an attempt at slow rock. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> well, listen, we've played enough power ballads yeah. over this decade, so I've sort of deliberately cherry picked to try and move away from that. Okay. Um, this one, I think you're going to enjoy. This is <laughs> by Babyface, and it's called "It's No Crime." Why? 
plenty of love. Let me do my time. Yeah, that I kinda, low, so I do. do I. I've never heard that before, but I kind of dig it. Kind of dig it. Okay, yeah. that was a hit in 89. Rapper and singer Bobby Brown was helping steer us away from the power ballads with this. You really tailored this music selection for me, didn't you? Sorry? No, no not at all. <laughs> no, no, I just wanted to get away from the ballads. Yeah. Scotty's telling us Nirvana Bleach was 1989 yeah. as well. Okay. And then this one, I think you'll you'll really enjoy this. This this makes me laugh. Continuing this theme, De La Soul released Me, Myself and I. Fan of that song? You know what? I could get behind that. This whole style of like early hip hop yeah. was really, like you said, it's just kind of fun and childlike in a way. Compared and I think to what that's you where music was headed as yeah. we as we headed into the nineties. So I think there was a definite shift there. There were obviously a lot of ballads. Um, Natalie Cole's "Miss You Like Crazy," Richard Marx's is "Right Here Waiting," and Simply Red's "If You Don't Know Me By Now." I mean, shall we go there? I think we have to. I think we do. You know what? Can I just say Mick Hucknell is worth $70 million? <laughs> that is so painful. Yeah, I, it's, it's, just not, it's one of the most puzzling right. things. It's just not right. It, honestly, it's one of the great conundrums of life. It's like that has been inflicted on us and he gets that much money. That's How does that add up? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 1989 has just lost hey, a point. Hey, a there's some point. big fans. There's some big fans of fans. Mick Hucknell and Simply Red out there. Right. <laughs> Let's quickly do sport. On February the 5th, in uh, boxing, Mike Tyson met Britain's Frank Bruno in a world heavyweight title bout. Be saved by the bell as the big right hand lands. Tyson knows he's got him in big trouble. If he doesn't answer it, Richard Steele has moved in and has stopped the fight. It's all over. Michael Tyson wins on a fifth round TKO. Put this into context for me a little bit. How significant was this amongst Tyson's um, fights? Well, it was. It brought to the end his kind of invincible era, where yeah. he was essentially a heavyweight wrecking ball. And the following year in 1990, he would have a shock loss to James Buster Douglas, which I'm sure will crop up on the next episode of the Time Capsule. And uh, that would kind of end the sort of the Mike Tyson is invincible kind of era, where he was basically just crushing everyone in the heavyweight division. He would fight Frank Bruno again and, and beat him again, but that was after after he spent time in jail and, and his career was never the same again. But yeah, 1989 was kind of peak Mike Tyson, it's fair mm. to say. In basketball, while Michael Jordan's star was rising or continuing to rise, the legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was playing his final NBA game. you got to listen to this reception he got from the, tr- the crowd. That's it for Kareem now. That's it. He's out. This went on. This went on for about eight minutes. Wow. Yeah, just cheering. And he it just kind of gives there. you goosebumps. I just got goosebumps a little there. Yeah. 
Just yeah. that level of appreciation for somebody he, who mastered um, the sport. He's still the all-time top scorer. 38,387 points in a career that spanned 20 years. LeBron James is closing in on him mm. for 35,283 points in third place. But... Um, he signed off at the LA Lakers uh, in his um, 14th and final year as a centre for them. Um, in cricket, it was a big year, although no one realised it at the time. But here's a... Well, I managed to dig out a clip of a rather famous debut. Makar Yunus to Tendulkar. That's a good shot. That's four runs. Finally played. That must do him a world of good. Pat on the back from... Uh, for him. I love the switch from basketball to cricket. Must do him a world of good. Pat on the back. <laughs> that commentary also sounds way older than 30 years yeah, old. Yeah, I know. It sounds yeah. like 1943, it does. doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. How he, did he um, do in his first debut? He did very well. He, he debuted at the age of 16 years and 248 de- 214 days old. He scored his first 50 in the second test during the series. He scored his first century the following year, and he retired with 51 centuries in test cricket, which is still a record today. Day, so pretty well. Pretty good. Um, tragically, in football, it was the year of the Hillsborough disaster, where in Sheffield, 96 Liverpool fans died in a crush at the start of the semi-final FA Cup tie with Nottingham Forest. This was a result of poor crowd management and police control. AC Milan won the European Cup over Stoya Bucharest. And the most dramatic thing that happened in football in 1989 was undoubtedly, undoubtedly this. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith. For Thomas, charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now. Thomas, right at the end. An unbelievable climax to the league season. Well into injury time, the Liverpool players are down absolutely abject. Aldridge is down, Barnes is down, Delgleish just stands there. Now, Sergio Aguero had subsequently won a league title for Man City in injury time, but Michael Thomas scoring Mm. in the 92nd minute for Arsenal against the team that they needed to beat to win the league title, who were also competing for that league title in Liverpool, the dominant team of the 1980s, for Arsenal to not beat them by the one goal, but beat them by the exact two-goal margin with which they needed to reverse the goal difference, was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it sounds thrilling. Yeah, it was incredible. And that was Brian Moore. Were Arsenal, so Arsenal weren't favourites in that particular year. They'd led led for a long time. It was the year of of Hillsborough, obviously. So so Liverpool had been reeling from that, that tragedy. And uh, they'd come back into it. Arsenal had left, uh, had let a a kind of a big lead slip in the league. And Liverpool had kind of whittled away at it. Mm. By which point they'd actually, with all the games that had been postponed due to the tragedy, they'd actually gotten in front of Arsenal come the end of the season. And Arsenal had a goal difference of negative four to Liverpool. But of course, if they were to score two goals and Liverpool were to lose two goals, that four would be disappeared. Wow. And they would create this incredible league title. And that's exactly what they did. Thanks to Michael Thomas in the 92nd minute. So that's sport. Um, What are we giving it then? All right. I'm going to give it. I'm going to stick with. No, I'm going to give it a seven. A seven. Bumped up to a seven. Yeah. You? I listen. It was one of my favorite years of the 80s. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it an eight. One of your favorite years of the 80s just gets an eight. Yeah. I'm a, it's quite tempered. I'm a scrupulous marker. Yeah, clearly. Sanjay says seven. Fad says eight. So we've got two sevens, two eights so far. I'm not a mathematician, but I know that adds up to <laughs> 7.5. Yes, well done. Which is solid. It's not going to beat 1985, I don't think. 
And indeed it didn't. 1985 then, the champion year of the 1980s, at least unofficially, courtesy of the time capsule. It scored an aggregate score of 8.36 out of 10. It was the year that saw Live Aid and that incredible performance by Queen and Freddie Mercury. It was the year that the likes of Mike Tyson and Michael Jordan burst onto the stage in their respective sports. And who can forget the movies of that year? The likes of Back to the Future, The Goonies and many more besides making 1985 the most memorable year, at least for us, in the 1980s. On now to the next decade. We'll catch you next time. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.